Hello everybody and welcome to Something Who episode 14. It's back to the shorter format this week as we bring you our thoughts on the latest episode of Doctor Who, The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Thanks to those of you who continue to listen, primarily in the United Kingdom, where several times in the past month you've helped us to peak around 50 in the Apple podcast charts for our category. Also in Australia, the United States, Canada and a host of other places. Hello wherever you're listening, thanks for taking an interest in what we do and please spread the word. So I'm joined today not only by Simon. Hello. And Giles. Hello. But also fresh from his sojourn in Los Angeles at the Gallifrey One Convention, here's Paul. Paul, hello. Uh, sorry, I decided not to leave as long a pause as Simon and Giles did. Anyone would think they were on satellite link from <laughs> the Antipodes. Yeah. Yes, I'm here, back in the country. As you as you correctly divined, I've not quite got over the jet lag yet, but if my thoughts yeah. are less coherent than usual, <laughs> I can only imagine how appalling that will be for everybody. Excellent. So, The Haunting of Villa Diodati by Maxine Alderton. So the TARDIS crew meets Byron and the Shelleys. It's 1816 on a dark and stormy night, and just as Mary is about to write Frankenstein, in amongst the trappings of a ghost story, we also get the appearance of the lone Cyberman. Who wants to kick us off with some thoughts about this? (laughs) That's that's the usual response. Giles and I are on satellite links. There's a bit of a pause. (laughs) Should it be me? I think so. I'm just going to say that the reason I'm back here this week isn't just because of scheduling conflicts. It's because I've enjoyed this one significantly more than most of the episodes this season and indeed last season. It seemed to me to thread a sharp relief just what was slightly lacking or sometimes a lot lacking in the other episodes for me by by getting it all right it's mm-hmm. um i don't mean to take anything away from this but damn it with faint praise i think this is genuinely a proper piece of who that would have worked beautifully in any era mm. the more I, i've watched it twice now the more i watch it the cleverer i think it is it has mm-hmm. i is an intriguing plot that keeps you guessing and, the, and a resolution that doesn't feel disappointing or underwhelming it's mm-hmm. funnier than most episodes, and it's also scarier than most episodes. I mean, hmm. you know, I would like it if the series could have some sort of emotional impact every week, either funny or scary, <laughs> to be honest. But, I mean, to do both at the same time is quite a good trick. So yeah. it really is very impressive. Mm. And it just seems to have a life and an energy and a spark to the dialogue. And when the dialogue's sparky, the characters come alive and everything starts working. So I was dead chuffed. I just wanted to come on the world, uh, I'll come on here <coughs> and tell the world that Maxine Alderton... Uh, is my new hero. <laughs> Maybe a bit too early to say Maxine Alderson for showrunner, but, you know, Maxine Alderson for showrunner. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, very good. Somebody else? Yes, apparently this is what you get for having written 116 episodes of Emmerdale, says IMDB. Um, yeah, 116 episodes of Emmerdale, three episodes of The of the Worst Witch. Right. It's her, um, her, her, her CV. And then she goes and does this. Did any of them have Fraser Hines in it? Uh, I don't think, no, apparently 2013 <laughs> onwards. So unless, oh, oh dear. Okay. Unless Fraser's been back since, <laughs> unless they've written him back in since I last watched Emmerdale. God knows how long ago that was, probably when it was Emmerdale Farm. Mm. Yeah, I doubt it. But yeah, that was, um, yeah, you get the writing right and everything else falls into place. It, it seems it really was quite a mini masterpiece. Probably the best. I've enjoyed quite a lot. Yeah, you know, I've enjoyed quite a lot of this season. While while being willing to 
poke holes. I've certainly enjoyed this season much more, I think, consistently than than the last. But it still felt like this was a significant raising of the bar compared to what we'd had anywhere else. Yeah, quite you know, quite good. A very yeah, a very a sort of trad Doctor Who setup in some mm. ways. You know, and you can you can certainly imagine them dropping them into this situation. But yeah, just just really brilliant and also shout out for the direction again who's the director it's the same same lady that did last week isn't it emma sullivan emma sullivan yeah yeah she's clearly um clearly a hot talent it has to be said as well it just really got everything bang on good simon thoughts from you yeah well regular listeners will know i'm always bleating about the the inconsistency of the show one week it's fantastic and hits a real Mm -hmm. high and the excitement mounts for the next week, and then it absolutely nosedives. Mm-hmm. And also in the previous series, I used to complain about the lack of scares and the lack of villains. And really, with this series, we've been spot for excellent villains. We had Zelin in Can You Hear Me? And this week, we had the lone Cyberman, who I thought was excellent. Mm-hmm. And having had a great episode last week, I was a bit nervous about this week, but we had a fantastic, decent period drama a lovely haunted house setting and then a fantastic return orbit for a lone Cyberman and um, some of the, the dialogue and the facing off between the Doctor Jodie Whittaker and the lone Cyberman that, that was really terrific really really enjoyable Yaz I feel is let down by the script I think she's still very underused I think there's bags of potential there that we haven't seen yet whereas Ryan just tends to let down the script still unfortunately <laughs> so I hope I desperately hope there's going to be a refresh of the crew mm. when the series ends, or, or even sooner, preferably. Um, Graham was very amusing, wandering around the haunted house, but managing to find a nice plate mm-hmm. of food. That was that was very good. Um, the supporting cast in this episode were really good and sustained the drama all the way through. Um, some interesting background as well. I think Byron is um, Ada Lovelace's father who we saw earlier, so there was a nice bit of continuity there yeah. as well. I mean, it's good enough to get Paul back in the game here again. <laughs> and um, I thought I thought it was excellent. It's fantastic. It raised the bar, so we've had two consecutive good episodes, so I hope, I hope that's mm. not going to ruin it for the season finale. Yes, yeah, I mean, there, there is always that problem where, you know, for every Earthshock, there's a, a time flight, isn't there? And for <laughs> every Caves of Androzani, there's a twin dilemma, but... Uh, you know, I mean, f- for me also, I mean, to four out of four of us, um, I-, I thought the episode hardly put a foot wrong. I thought the dialogue was particularly standout. I mean, it was it was um, going back to uh, the Stephen Moffat era with the, the witty one-liners and it brought everything uh, back to life, sparkled. Good character development as well. Uh, but, I mean, m- most importantly, a cracking story, uh, um, a story that kept me guessing and, and, and kept interest all the way through. So, as far as I'm concerned, I hope they can bottle what they've done here and re- reproduce it time after time. Uh, and, and I'd say it's definitely the pick of the season. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed the Judoon one as well, but this this one uh, uh, pipped that as far as I was concerned. So yeah, so I mean, we've, we've we've I guess we've talked quite a lot uh, about the the struggles of the scripts. So what do you, what do you think was it that set this script? You know, that made it work as a Doctor Who story. And again, without damning it with faint praise, I, I do feel like this mm. is what it should be like every week. And what it made me wonder is why the others weren't. I'd been wondering if Chris Chibnall was 
<laughs> sucking some of the life out of the, the, the scripts. I couldn't understand why week after week different writers are mm. writing in the same anemic fashion with the, neither regulars or the guest characters getting the sort of dialogue mm. that would bring their characters to life. Lacking drama in simple interactions. The dra- any drama we got was just from plot mechanics rather than just humans being humans. So, you know, it was so consistent. So I, could just, I just thought maybe somebody's doing this deliberately. Somebody's script editing them and, and painting sh- shades of grey over whatever these writers have produced. And then suddenly we get an episode which is sparking with life and uh, individuality. So I'm, not mm. gonna, I'm just going to leave that with a dot, dot, dot. I don't wish to imply that the other writers we've had were no. <laughs> not up to it. I'm n- not familiar with any of their work. But perhaps they, perhaps they weren't aiming high enough. Perhaps they thought Doctor Who required a certain level mm. of writing mm. and Maxine aimed higher. I just don't know. It has, Baffling. Mm, it has to be said, I guess, you know, one thing that having a, having that much Emmerdale on your CV, if there's one thing that soaps teach you mm. absolutely, it's through with, mm. you know, writing character and just, yep. and just getting that kind of, you know, interactions in the wallpack or wherever it, wherever it may be. But she didn't mm. come out with some zingers here. I mean, I think my I think my personal favourite was the lights one, but he's gone on a mini break. Yes. <laughs> yes. See, w- way back at the beginning of the last season, when I was complaining there was a lack of wit in the stories, I, w- I kept using that particular phrase, and I think I confused people. And I thought people mm. thought I wanted jokes, you know, wit in the literal sense. Mm. But I just meant life and intelligence and mm. and lines of a line of dialogue. If it's functional, make it. You can get across exposition mm. and functional dialogue in an interesting way, yes. as, as easily as a. Yes, that, 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 so that dance scene, for instance. And if there's a, if that, there's a gap, sorry, that, that dance scene was was a fantastic way of yeah. doing it. Sorry, you're probably going to say that. No, but I'll, no, I'll pretend. I'll pretend <laughs> I, mean, I think the dancing is a particularly good mm. illustration of, of what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It brought it seemed to bring the acting up a level. Again, I can't believe that they cast mm. better actors this week, but everybody seemed much more solid and less like. I mean, sometimes the acting's been dropping down to a not what you might expect from a flagship television program, I, su- I suppose. Well, and here, Doctor Who's, Doctor Who's always been a bit vulnerable to that of people bringing their Doctor Who performance and doing it, doing it for their kids, as it were. And even very good actors have sometimes have been guilty of that. And you think, well, there's no mm. excuse for you know. So I don't, I don't know if this whoever played. Mary Shelley she was any great, better than the act- yeah. was any better than the actress who played Ada Lovelace. But the character came to life because there was literally nothing to Ada Lovelace in that episode, other than, "Hello, <laughs> I'm Ada Lovelace. I'm going. I'm a computing genius, <laughs> or rather, the Doctor telling her and us who she is, <laughs> and then you know, having established, drawn a sketch of the character, they didn't. They didn't seem to feel the need to put it into the into the dialogue. Whereas here. Mm. And Byron was <laughs> was fantastic, mm. Mm. and the Cyberman. I goodness me! I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think that's the best Cyberman we've ever had in fifty four years. Yep. Mm. I've got a sort of a. I've always leant towards slightly more humany Cybermen, less robotic, less purely robotic, and I don't want to get into Doctor Who fanish details because I I realise they're supposed to be emotionless and supposed to have lost most of their... I've always thought they looked more interesting 
when they lean more towards the Borg, and I don't like to say that out loud, it's just a shorthand for mm. what I'm trying to say. I'm mm. not saying we sh- should ignore everything they did in the first 20 years and rip off the Borg, but it, you know, I just can't help thinking it's more interesting because otherwise they are just ordinary robots, and the only thing that distinguishes them is having handles on their heads. Mm. <laughs> so, but the look here, and in particular the characterization, <laughs> there's some nasty lines. Uh, it, I thought for a minute it was going to fall into the sort of sentimental trap that a lot of Doctor Who nowadays seems to at the end. I thought, Ma- and we were being directed to think that Mary Shelley was going to win the Sideman mm. over by appealing to its, which of course is what happens in many run of the mill episodes. And not only did they turn it on its head, mm. they turned it on its head in a spectacularly vicious fashion with him talking about what, killing his own mm. children. Mm. And it was a wonderful performance. I'm glad that he seems to, uh, seems to be back again next week. Mm. Just hope they can keep that up. Yes, when when um, when Maxine's not doing the the, uh, the dialogue. Mm. Yeah, we've had we've had tiny little um, glimmers of Cybermen that are a bit more physically have more of their humanity left, haven't mm. we? Whether little bits in Attack of the Cybermen, I think, which wasn't done particularly well, it, and it's been inconsistent. There was that <laughs> was it in the Pandora opens when Moffat put in a, a cyber head that opens up and has a skull that yeah. falls out. Just mm. for a cheap shock, but you know there are they are inconsistent. There have clearly been different ways the Cybermen have been mm. manufactured throughout time and space. They went through a phase of dressing um, in swimwear in in Cyberwoman by Chris, <laughs> <laughs> didn't they? Yeah. But here, I really think we've got the best of both worlds. Mm. Oh, uh, that's a Borg episode, so mm. uh, no pun intended. It <laughs> <laughs> <Very good, sir. laughs> yeah. was an accident. Don't look at me like that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I'd, I'd agree with you, Paul. That, that whilst I've always loved the Cybermen in concept, I think in reality we've often had something that was less than that. There was, there was the one fantastic um, episode, really only the World Enough and Time, where we get to see the, you know, the start of the Cybermen, or or yet another start of the Cybermen, which mm. is full of suspense. But sort of at the point at which they actually become Cybermen. And then they, you know, the following episode, it all kind of fell apart a bit. But that, um, the, the 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 suspense and the and the idea of those humans turning into Cybermen was was handled, I thought, quite effectively. I mean, spare parts from Big Finish, if if, if I may, and um, Big Finish, is is obviously the the, the classic in that <laughs> regard, and you know, probably delivers something that that the the series itself never quite managed. It's funny you should mention Big Finish. There was some consternation among Big Finish fans because this is a slightly deeper cut here. Mm. But uh, when when it became apparent this was an episode where <laughs> the Doctor visits Mary Shelley and her friends on the night that she is inspired to write Frankenstein mm. and that she meets a Cyberman, which may or may not prove as part of the inspiration, people couldn't help thinking of the of two well-known do- uh, Big Finish stories wherein the Doctor visits Mary Shelley on the night in which she writes Frankenstein mm. and meets a Cyberman. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a coincidence. <laughs> it obviously is a coincidence. Somebody would have known, and somebody would have said, "Let's just do it again. It's too good an idea." Mm. Yeah, I, I can forgive them for that. It was actually two different stories. There was the the telling ghost stories by the lake evening. Yeah, and then the Doctor picks up Mary Shelley and takes her away to be his companion as the eighth eighth Doctor. Mm. And mm-hmm. then, the, and then in their first story together, she meets a side man, mm. which is an excellent Mark Mark Platt mm. story, who of course wrote Spare Parts. Yes. they do keep. Mm. Intentionally or otherwise, mining his mm. his best stuff, and to compare it to a, it just suddenly struck me this could be, could almost be the Dalek of Cybermen stories. Yes, you know? yes, that's a good point. Da- Dalek, mm. sort of 
brought them, made them terrifying and formidable again by centering on a single example, mm. single battered example, which was holding on to its its nature against all odds. Mm. Hmm. I'm happy to call it that. I'm I'm going to call it Cyberman. It's shorter than the, the haunting <laughs> Villa Dardati. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm not really. <laughs> and, and and you know, coming back to the idea of doing this, you know, the, the same story twice. I mean, let's face it, Barry Letts revisited Atlantis twice in two seasons with, uh, <laughs> you know, back in the seventies. So it, it wouldn't be the first time. No, it's clearly going to be more and more of a problem as as Doctor Who moves on through the decades. Hmm. The program used to contradict itself. Now it's contradicting the novels and the audios because there's only ever going to be more and more of all three media mm. and mm. comics and whatever. So it's, it's, we're gonna, it's just something we're going to have to get used to. Yes. And we're not even going to have to expect them to mm. explain it away in the script like they did, whether it was intentional or not, with Ada mm. Lovelace, with the doctor wiping her memory. Mm. We didn't have to go through that here. Mm. I mean, again, it's, it's in the subtext if you want. Time was being changed. This wasn't what was supposed to happen. Mm. Big Finnish fans can read between the lines there and say that this isn't supposed to happen because the Doctor's been there before and has literally seen it. Mm. Whereas viewers will be think mm. ordinary viewers will be thinking she knows that because she's read history books. So you know, mm. but it's just something we're going to have to get used to. And some people will shout time war. It's a program about time travel. We're just going to have to get used to the idea that it can't be a single linear timeline. Mm. There are going to be ripples and waves. Oh, absolutely, yes. Mm. We could fall ourselves into thinking it wasn't that it was nice and consistent. For the first few decades, but but, <laughs> but we'd be know, wrong. Yeah. Yes. In five hundred years' time, when our great 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 space grandchildren are watching it, they won't understand why we're even worried about such things. Mm. Hmm. I was just going to say on that on that particular. If it's interesting, as much as people have wanted to make grand theories out of bits of pyramids of Mars and things, we're sort of trying to work out how time travel really works and alteration of the history may or may not work within Doctor Who. It's always refused to be nailed down, and yet, and given that this is. You know, given it's a fictional concept, mm. you know, if we're talking from a scientific point of view, there are plenty of cosmologists out there who believe that time travel is impossible because, precisely because this kind of causality thing you know, cannot be allowed to create, or either that or when you, if you build a time machine, you can't go back to before the time machine has been created. Mm-hmm. But it's, I was just thinking about the, the comparison with the way that the Marvel Universe handled it in Avengers Endgame. Spoilers, everybody. <laughs> was it this time last year? I guess God, so. it was. But yes, with regard to their their sort of branching, you know, they they definitely have go down a complete branching reality kind of situation where where changes made in the past don't ripple into the future. And it's just it's just quite interesting the way that we, as viewers, tend to try and you know want to impose some kind of sense onto what is a fairly nonsensical concept and to, and make up what are essentially arbitrary rules about what can and can't mm. happen. Um, Are you saying we really in need time, in a time travel story? We need Tilda Swinton to pop up, looking all wise, and explain everything. Mm. Draw, I'd, draw well, divergent timelines in the air. Uh, mm. <laughs> well, she can explain to yes. Mark Ruffalo as the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, she well, can explain to the average Doctor Who view. Mm. <laughs> well, having seen David Copperfield at the weekend, I'd welcome Tilda Swinton just turning up to <laughs> chase donkeys off our lawn. Do you mean the American Magician or the one out of three of a kind? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, neither of the uh, yes, neither of the above. <laughs> oh, my mistake. <laughs> the, a, yes. the third David oh, Copperfield. The third David Copperfield. The first David yeah. Copperfield. <laughs> yeah, but nobody remembers that. Uh, most people just mm. remember Lenny Henry and Tracy Ullman's co-star. Mm. He was hila- <laughs> he was hilarious, wasn't he? So whatever happened to him? Anyway. Um. <laughs> 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 
to be changing the subject slightly, I, I, I got Castro Valva vibes out of the middle of this story. And, uh, Ooh, you yes. know, I was beginning yeah, to, to, to um, concoct in my head this notion that um, the master had created this villa uh, and, and we were going to see a reappearance of his character and mm. and then it went in a different direction but um the, you know that was that that was a an interesting parallel that that in the end turned out not to be one yeah they threw mm. in lots of lots of gimmicks l- traditional haunted house tropes like um poltergeist stuff things flinging mm. themselves about and the uncanny topography is a is not is less commonly seen in ghost stories but that was another nice it had lots of ideas, just like most stories nowadays have a lot of ideas. But for me, this time, they all meshed together. They felt hmm. stylistically, thematically, they gelled. And they're explained away well, which neither of which has always been the case. One of my particular grumbles has been about stories feeling like they're just a, a random grab bag of ideas hmm. which hmm. have been smushed together against their will and failed to adhere. <laughs> Whereas here, they just did. It's often, yeah, is, I mean, in Doctor Who, all, whenever you do a ghost story in Doctor Who, it always runs the risk of, there's going to be a point at which you reveal it's all just technology and science mm. behind it, not mm. real ghosts. And of course that's inevitable, but it still can be done well or mm. badly. I've seen examples where I was disappointed because you lose some of the atmosphere when, when the, it changes to technology. Mm. That's mm. maybe in big finish more than on television. And you just think, oh, I was preferring the ghost story. Mm. You, you lost it you, at mm. the end there. And here, nope, it managed to hold on to the atmosphere all the way through. Well, they had their they had their cake and ate it too, didn't they? Because they, you know, there was still a, th- a thought <laughs> that there might be a ghost. Yes, I assume it was just a, a gag. Yeah, yeah. Or or maybe something that they'll pick I, up later. Who knows? Well, I think yes, yeah, good question. But it was nice. Yeah, as you know, the Cyberman turns up. You know, smack on you know smack on the midpoint of the story you know just look at it structurally but but the cyberman is such a force of nature is is so well done that yes it doesn't lose its, it just adds another layer of creepiness to it it's, instead of i mean instead of diffusing the creepiness that they spent the first half of the story i shouldn't building up. i shouldn't praise this story by comparing it to an imaginary version which did some things differently but there for example they it could have been revealed this wasn't a real haunted house they could have all melted away like the Star Trek holodeck mm. and they could have all been in a spaceship or simulation. Mm. That would have spoiled it. They could, if it had mm. been a gleaming, silver, shiny side man, that wouldn't have really fitted. But because it was a gothic, macabre, mm. Franken- mm. Frankenstein of a side man, mm. I mean, of course mm. it was, because that's, that was the whole point of putting mm. the two together. But you know what I mean? It, it just made all the choices, all the right choices all the time. Mm. Mm. Simon, have you got um, some thoughts about the story? Well, I, I was just sitting back enjoying listening. Um, <laughs> Paul, Paul was, yeah. That's not what we pay for. Paul, Paul was on the money about um, that being one of the best Cyberman appearances ever because I think you need that underlying human menace and seeing his mask broken and being able to see the, the person lurking within, that was, that was very, very good. And then the horrible line about not caring mm. about the, the baby... And, and the fate of his own mm. children. Um, <laughs> that again, that was fantastic scripting, and I'm sure it made all the the kids jump as well. So that was that was very very good. But yeah, that was that was one of the best ever Cyberman stories. I think it was that good. It was subverting expectations, not just for us but for the Doctor, because we're all you were used to the idea that the Cybermen, what they do is take good, ordinary, decent people and remove strip away their humanity. It was in, just interesting to see the Doctor flawed and every. Flawed by the fact that this was somebody who was obviously a nasty piece of work already. 
Uh, mm. Well, was that clear? Anyway, but that mm. the mental process of losing humanity happened alongside mm. the mechanical process. Mm. How many th how many threads have been left hanging over? Somebody sent the Siberium mm -hmm. through to the past from mm. the future yep. to try and hide it from the Cybermen to stop them rebuilding themselves. Is this right? At a point at which yes. they were losing the cyber war and mm. they were going to use the Siberium to recover somebody to send it back and we don't know who. Is yeah. that right? Mm. Okay, just checking. Yes, yeah, that's my understanding. And that may come from, I suppose, that might come from the final part of this mm. story, who knows? Or part of the season, rather. Um, yeah, and, and of course we've still no idea how this fits in with with the Master and with Ruth's Doctor, if indeed it does. No. To be honest, there are so many things hanging over that I don't, I can't think we're going to fit them all in the next two episodes. We'll yeah. be interested to see which do get um, mm. returned to. And I, I, I like that. I, you know, as a, mm. as a general point, I, I, I prefer they, I prefer them to concentrate on, on yeah. dealing with this particular aspect of it um, properly. Um, I guess we'll wait and see whether, whether Chibnall's denials that Jack is back, <laughs> whether they turn out to be accurate or not, and you know, if they're yeah, if it turns out he's lied good on him, so far as I'm concerned, that's that's completely where, as as the showrunner, it's pretty much in the job description that you have to lie about that sort of thing. And the only the only option in that scenario mm. is to is to lie flat out and say no, he's not going back. But presumably, what we saw in episode five connected to to this scenario. So yeah, yeah, with Jack having some knowledge of that it would be perhaps odd if that doesn't turn up but hopefully the hopefully the Liz stuff and the master stuff and so on are going to be are going to be left hanging over and just allowed to um that tantalize us a bit further yeah certainly for me i I'd, I'd sooner they did they made a good job of finishing this story off with the cybermen really well rather than try to get everything and resolve all of it in the mm. you know couple of hours that are left and made a mess of it because there was too much stuff and not enough time just trying to think how this connects to, or whether whether this is going to um, connect to uh, Nightmare and Silver. It's years since I've seen yes, that. Yes, I can barely remember it, but I've seen but people saying that that was set around a big cyber mm. war, which obviously yes, was bigger and, and further in the future than the, mm. the stuff from Revenge of the Cyber and Earthshock. Mm. It's a lot further ahead than that, isn't it? Yes, that had the that, that referred to the Siberiad. Oh, okay. As being the um, ah the cyber consciousness. Interesting. Mm. Kind of um, kind of thing. So it's changed. Really wonder whether it's, it's changed to clenching. Mm. Well, it's mm, it's yes. sort of from Greek <laughs> through Siberia, Siberian, 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 Latin jokes there for yes. Sib 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 Siberia is, is is a Greek ending, isn't it? I think I think Siberium's a Latin one. Oh, there you go. No, you've you taken this quality <laughs> content. <on>. <laughs> <laughs> Certain other podcast. <laughs> we know what our audience want. They want Greek and Latin jokes. Don't you? Well, you know, well, we 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 certainly want we certainly want classics every week. That's for sure. Mm. Oh, ten for our own boys. Did you call me O-Tempera O-Morris? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, very good. Oh dear. Mm. There you go. You can have that one for your next group. For your next group, Paul. Wow. So I mean, not nice stuff. I think from the Doctor this week and from from Jodie Whittaker. Mm. Oh so, yes. So I mean, I mm. kind of liked the bit. I mean, I, I've, I already mentioned 
the, the dancing and, and, and I thought that was a that was a fantastic way of having a scene in which there's a lot of exposition without making it feel like there's a scene in which there's a lot of exposition but anyway the doctor then gets bored mm. of the dancing and says ghost stories anyone or something like that and starts but you know they, they all they want to do is another dance <laughs> but it, it, I, I kind of like the way that she was try, trying to move the whole thing on um, in, in an unsubtle way it was mm. a nice it was a nice mix of both the performer but also the script quite like that well, the irony of it was that until the, the stuff with Bowen's absence was highlighted, it started to look like it was them turning yes. up that had, that had knocked things yes. off course. It did because, look um, like Bowen, that. Bowen reading ghost stories was yes. how the whole yes. the whole idea for them to to write their own hmm. started off. And so, at a certain point, I was I was thinking, oh, they bugged hmm. up history. <laughs> And the Doctor got some very, as well as being you know very sparky all the way through, she got some very dramatic stuff to do mm. at the end, mm. which yeah. um, is either symptomatic of the, the whole, the nice contrast in this episode as a whole, or or, more, or because we're heading towards the season finale and the Doctor is allowed, is being pushed into these areas. I mean, she's again distancing herself from her family, as she has in mm. a few previous episodes, mm. isn't she? Yes, the, the, yeah. the, uh, the team structure is no longer cracks, flat. The cracks yeah. are appearing. Yeah, and mm. I must say, I like, yeah, I, I prefer it. Just, it just gives an extra dimension to you know to the character. Mm. It's slightly unfair to them because it's, I mean, it's not. She's encouraged them to think of themselves as just friends, like they're all on yeah, the yeah. same level. So it's a rather unfair mm. to suddenly turn around and say, "How dare mm. you think you're? We're all in this together." But um, mm. there you go. I think she's fall- she's fooling herself mm. as well as them. Yes, exactly. I think I think that that's the point that it, it came across as a as a character mm. thing. You know, it came across as a character thing in itself. The fact that she's setting herself up and having sort of having mm. a pop at them about it, as much as it reads as you as you suggest, Paul, rather than coming up coming off as being a you know a, like a character inconsistency in in how they've been treating her. You know, so it doesn't. I felt like it, which is good. It's almost the first time that we've seen the sexuality of the Doctor come up since Jodie's taken over. With you know the the, the way that that Byron starts to become flirtatious and sort of <laughs> slightly besotted with her. So we talked about that last mm. year about she's almost playing the role asexually. And I, I mean, I mean, clearly uh, the Doctor isn't all that interested in Byron, but nonetheless, you can see that that that's suddenly become a thing. <laughs> Talking of which. I'm not reading too much into this, am I? Is it now um, confirmed, or slightly more confirmed, that Yaz has a crush on the Doctor? Well, she she appears to have a crush, but I mean, I, I don't know whether it's a it, it it's that kind of love interest type crush or just the sort of fascination. It, 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 yeah, but it's there's something there. I, well, I, you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have read that much into it if it wasn't for the context where she was comparing yeah, she was comparing those feelings and that mm. relationship to. Uh, mm. Who was it? Who was she talking to? The Byron and Bar- Byron's lady friend, Claire Claremont. Byron and um and yeah. Apparently, according to the credits, Burns, it sounds like yes. it sounds almost like um, character from Phoenix Nights. Mm. I'm struggling to remember why I already had that in my head from, from last year. Was there something a tiny, tiny little nod towards that last year? It was Yas's mum in this in Spiders. Yeah, it was it all it was. I mean, there were there, there were other kind of was it anything vague moments, but I think that mm. was really what put it into everyone's heads. It's amazing mm. just how uh, how normal, real Graham seemed. It was uh, an embarrassment of Rich's what with him look, love, trying to find some food and trying to find a toilet. <laughs> well, yes. Either one of those would have been <laughs> enough to <laughs> make him seem human. But uh, yeah, yeah. And Ryan, for my money, works better. You know, is 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 better relegated to comic relief. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. I thought he got, he got he got a couple of good he got a couple of good chuckles from me. Well, he was did he he was in character for yeah. his for his gags and doing chopsticks and yeah, chopsticks was funny. good. <laughs> no. Well, the chopsticks yeah. gag was good. I saw Tosin Cole being interviewed at oh, yeah. the, Gall- the Gallifrey Convention, mm. and it confirmed what I already suspected from seeing a few, just a few minutes of interviews with him here and there. He is mm. so much more charismatic in real life right. than mm. Ryan. Yeah, and it makes me rather irritated that they've taken this an engaging young performer mm. and somehow sucked all the <laughs> all the life out of him. Yeah, and mm. I can't work out if making him do this. Sheffield accent. Yeah, that's not helping. Start the start or the end of the problem, or it's just the icing on the cake. I, I think there's there, there's that, and there's the, and there's you, you know his his inability to to cycle, and so I think he's got too much going on in his head. He's trying to remember all the quirks of Ryan the character rather than just get on and be engaging. Yeah, even the thing about him struggling to play the get the right notes on the piano, Eric Malcolm style. It's mm. a tiny little moment, but it's if you're going to remember that he's dyspraxic, mm. that's the way to do it. A little mm. moment. It's funny. It's sweet. It's here and gone. I, better than ignoring it or or having some clunky thing about him. Mm. I don't know, tripping over the stairs. Mm. Mm. But uh, I shall. St- uh, I'll stop gushing. Or maybe I shouldn't mm. stop gushing. <laughs> be, who knows how long it'll be before I'm allowed to gush again? Mm. Mm. No, it's good to have some. It's good to have some fresh perspective on on Ryan Paul because it's. I'm guilty of quite a lot of mm. Ryan bashing, but it, again, that what what you've just said is in keeping with the. You know the inconsistency. They seem to still be trying to carve out a character and and find some role for him. And we're almost we're almost at the end of the second series. They really should have nailed that by now. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, did anyone else notice? Well, they must must have done probably um, where um, the doctor was referred to as Mrs. Doctor. That made me that made me chuckle. I, I'm sure there's a few <laughs> fanboys mm. on uh, mm. Planet Mondas chuckling about that. Yeah. Do you know what? Almost everything we're picking up here, whether it's a tiniest little joke, is just an example of how clever this is. Because Hmm. when our hero arrives in this scenario and says, I'm the doctor, I mean, Hmm. it's something we have to gloss over because otherwise, in real life, people would be saying, you're the what? No, but Hmm. what's your name? Or they'd be saying Doctor Who every week. So you either ignore the way real people would react or you have a laborious explanation and just yeah. <laughs> that's I've not seen that one before have mm. somebody not assume but I don't know just for the sake of convenience pre- <laughs> act as if that's her name rather than her title it's, I mm. just, and it's new and um, funny and different mm. Mm. I don't know oh I, I'm so happy I, I might go and watch it again yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wondered for a second if, if that was Dominic Cummings under the mask <laughs> as the Cyberman because he seemed to be very absolutely obsessed by the Guardian <laughs> Uh, you know, I thought maybe he was, he, was, he was trying to seek it out and eliminate it. Have you been sitting on that joke for 38 minutes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> waiting, for uh, wait, waiting for an inopportune moment to, to present it to you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then on the other hand, you, there was that lovely line also uh, with the Cyberman had of, do not be afraid, little one, you will be like us. Mm. Yeah. From Cybermen of old, I like that. Yep, old line. Very scary to be directing as a baby. There was a scary yeah. bit with the baby in Love and War by Paul Cornell novel years and years ago, which mm-hmm. still haunts me. <laughs> so it's an easy way to send mm. the shivers down the spine, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going back to Yaz, so she at some point has that has that line about you know technically 
the doctor only told us not to follow her so let's split up so so they are still kind of trying to get the sense that, that Yaz is is one of the more adventurous ones and and uh, you know will push at the boundaries that the doctor has set mm. uh, you know, as as in yeah. I suppose Praxius when that happened but it, i mean it, unfortunately it's a bit few and far between mm. there's a tiny nod to her law and order background when she catches mm. lady lady doodah breaking mm. and entering yes yes yeah, yeah true mm. which i'll take over nothing Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. At least, it, at least it shows they've, um, they've they've remembered it this week. I think she should say hello, hello, hello whenever she catches somebody. That's <laughs> no. mm, no good. Then, then we'd remember. Oh yes, she's mm. a policewoman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be Avenue. You're next. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell right tell Ryan he has the right to remain silent. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, so do we think that um, that that we. That, over egg it a bit with the whole Shelley stuff and how important it is that Shelley survives. Well, yeah, I don't know. Well, no. Um, well, Hugh Bennett would have been out of I, a job, wouldn't he? They, were, <laughs> they seem to be having the cake and eating it. Oh, very good. They seem to be hedging their bets there with two different ways they could have gone with it. Hmm. You could have lent completely on the idea words are important. Um, just because he's only a poet, his poetry hmm. will inspire millions. Who knows how many civilizations will rise and fall based on the words of Shelley? You could have made the whole mm. thing about him, but I think if you'd gone that way, he would have needed to be a much bigger character yes. throughout the episode. Mm. Whereas, yeah. they somehow managed to mix and match that with the more hard sci-fi idea that if he dies, because he had some influence, it's, he's not just a rando. Yeah, he's an important he's an important enough figure that it would cause the ripples, butterfly effect. Yes, and who knows what would change? Mm. And so, so it's rather unusual. I mean, you. That could happen every week, of course. Yeah. Every time they're in history, the doctor could be saying that we have to fix this because mm. it will bugger up your future. You won't exist. It's interesting that she chose this occasion. It didn't seem to be any more relevant to this occasion than it is any time they're in history to me, unless it was supposed to be because history had already been changed mm. by the arrival of the Siberiad and that she wanted to put it back on track. I don't know. It wasn't entirely it, clear, but it didn't. It wasn't unclear in a way that ruined it for it me. It was arguable to me, so I agree with you with, for that point, but it was arguable to me that it's more important that Mary Shelley writes Frankenstein than that Percy Shelley writes his poetry. I mean, yes. I, I, mean I know that Percy Shelley is an important poet in English literature, but in the end, probably more people, maybe fewer people have read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but more people have been influenced by Frankenstein, the, you know, the films, the... TV series, whatever else, yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, you're right. I don't know why they didn't go that direction. They slightly, I mean, I could have done with a two-parter on this, if only because mm. there's so much you could have done. Yeah. And yeah. if you probably could have done all the things, <laughs> achieved its full potential in two episodes. Mm. As you've got Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, and Byron there, you could have gone in a thousand directions. I mean, they, um, Bar- Byron's just there as a comic relief character, really, but uh, it reminded me <laughs> that in the first after episode two with Ada Lovelace, the um, Big Finish plugged story that I wrote. And here's me plugging it again, mm. which featured Ada Lovelace. But in, in the Ada Lovelace story, we did feature her being haunted by the ghost of Byron, so they could easily have plugged it again this week. Mm. And as you say, regardless of Percy Shelley and his lovely poetry <laughs> and Lord Byron and his overlong epics, <laughs> Mary Shelley is clearly the central figure here and the most important. Mm. Mm. So it might have made more sense to write it. I don't know, for the Doctor to hint that she was the, yeah. the point in time that needed to be protected. Yes. 
I mean, I'm picking nits at the, for, for the sake of it, really, because because I, I enjoyed the story enough that I'm not really all that bothered about it, but it, it just seemed a slightly odd um, emphasis. Mm. The only other thing I was going to say was, given the given that we had a very you know a pretty large supporting cast plus plus our usual issue of the you know, potentially overcrude over um, overcrude TARDIS, this felt like there was enough going on and mm. enough remixing that it didn't really yeah you didn't you didn't really feel like they found enough interesting things to do with all these different characters it, that, it was you know, very we, did, we didn't suffer too much from the the classic you know, stand around what the doctor explains sure. everything it was very very pacey and i got the i got the feeling i mean it could have been written that way what we saw could have been exactly what was written in the script but i got the feeling that it had been edited very tightly Mm. in an attempt to keep mm. all the scenes there but just keep them nice and mm. sharp rather than ha- having a slower pace and, and losing whole scenes which often is what people do in editing seems to be what people do in editing mm. and, and I've seen, I saw somebody compare it to ghost light the atmosphere of the house and um, watching it a second time with that in my head I actually thought it reminded me a bit of ghost light something in the pacing and the fact that that was yes, cut down yeah, quite heavily as well it's mm. got Something with the, the hmm. constant cutting between people split up around the house, were not spoon feeding the viewer hmm. into knowing what the connections were at any given moment. There's a lot hmm. in the early stages, a lot going on in different locations, which hmm. were cut. I mean, perhaps the Emmerdale thing again, you know, that the, the soap operas have a huge cast of characters, and yet they always. You know, seem to find things for them to do, and 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 so, you know, the answer to the problem of how do you deal with all those characters is well, find lots of of incident, and then they'll all be occupied doing stuff. Perhaps the problem has been with the other stories that there hasn't been enough going on, so that it, there's there've been too many spare parts. Mm. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, final thoughts before we wind up, Simon. Any any final thoughts? Mm. More, please. <laughs> yes, very good. No, that's been a very entertaining chat, even if I say so myself. That was a fantastic episode. I, I, I hope it hasn't squeezed the last remaining quality out of the series because the bar's definitely been raised overall, and I hope it's set up nicely for the finale. Charles, have you got to say that you haven't had a chance to squeeze in yet? <sighs> Not really. I feel like I've feel like I've said pretty much everything that I, I had um thought to bring up it's it's nice to see Jodie being given the chance to um actually show what she can do and being given some you know some really strong dialogue that actually lets her play to her strengths and you know because yeah we know mm-hmm. she's a damn good actress but you know she has been unfortunately underserved at various times by somewhat boilerplate generic wacky doctor Stuff and it feels like this series they have they have started layering in more interesting more and more depth to her character, but this ramped it up a notch mm. in in that regard. So hopefully, um, hopefully, yeah, fingers crossed. The, the next two weeks are gonna see that, and everything else that you know that went so well in mm. this one built upon. Sure, uh, there were there were three bits of dialogue that I liked that, that were. Well, so so one of them was my absolute favourite, perhaps for obvious reasons, where someone says, "I don't think they're really from the colonies," and then someone else says, "No, no, she's from someone oh, yes. much stranger." Then yes. Doctor Polidori just says, "The North," <laughs> Beautif- beautifully cut as w- as well as well delivered. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Admit, I only caught that yeah. on this. I only caught that on my second. Uh, 
second and the other two were, were um, nice. you know, the Doctor's rules. So the first one was a set, the set of three rules. You know, nobody mentions Frankenstein, don't interfere, and nobody snog Byron, uh, which just made me smile. But then at the end, <laughs> you know, she's saying she has the plan that's in two steps. And the first step is to say Shelley, and the second step is fix the mess I created in step one. So, yeah, I, I, I thought all of that. I mean, it, it, it was it was classic Thirteenth Doctor, but somehow just improved a notch, maybe from from um, other examples. Paul, I'd rather cut you off first time round. Any any final thoughts you've got? I haven't got any final thoughts. I've, I remembered one more thing I really liked, and as we seem to be using this section as a roundup. I liked, because I'm very macabre as an individual, I liked the way mm. that she got the Siberia thing out of Shelley. Of, of all the things mm. you could have made up, plot mechanisms, plot devices to get to do mm. that, pushing him mentally forward to his own death, <laughs> to shock it into letting go, is rather mm. dark, and again in keeping with the whole tone. Mm. Rather than some sort of silly MacGuffin. If we're going to invent new abilities for Time Lord, yes, yeah. that's one that you would not... That's one you'd want to use sparingly, isn't it? Mm. I thought that was very clever. Mm. So See, uh, that was the only thing that um, that did catch me by surprise in that regard, because the whole business with it is inhabiting the Doctor for I mean, literally a couple of minutes, whatever. And I thought, oh, we're going down that route, are we? Mm. And thinking that was going to be a springboard into the finale. Yes. And then instead, it uh, it got away. So did I, but um, it was just a sort of link between where we were and what we mm. I guess knew was coming because we mm. had it set up in episode 5 which again mm. added, added an extra thrill to this episode it would have been good enough on its own but because we came into it knowing with that, that rule in mm. our in big flashing neon lights don't mm. give the Cyberman what it wants there's an extra layer of tension mm. to the ending and the Doctor and we could see the logical steps by which the Doctor ends up in a situation where yeah. she has no alternative Mm. So, yes, well done. And the last thing we needed was for, for a repeat of uh, Nightmare in Silver, where, you know, Jodie starts acting strange because, you know, she's half possessed by a cyber something or other. Mm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you know, so, so uh, we've got two more episodes to come. I propose that we do another shortish one next week, having seen the first of those. And then we'll probably go for a, a, one of our classic compare the last final episode to something else. So I guess get your thinking caps on over the next week or so about what that might be that 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 classic story. And in the inter in the meanwhile, we'll uh, we'll probably meet again in just under a week to uh, to chew over what we made of of Sunday's episode. Thanks all. Thanks thanks for uh, for sharing your thoughts. It's great to have you back, Paul. So so uh, thanks for that. Oh, don't get used to it. Yeah, and. <laughs> And Charles and Simon always, always, uh, always good to catch up. <laughs> See you, boys. <laughs> good night, viewers. <laughs> bye, bye, everyone. Indeed. Bye, bye. Good to speak to you all. And then I'm going to do a little bit of narration, and it usually goes horribly wrong, but we'll uh, we'll see how we get on. You're much closer to the to your webcam this week. Is it because you're on location? Slightly yeah, well, it's, it's, it, it's a different webcam. So nothing mm. you can do about that. <laughs>
Can you shrink your head or something? Just no, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it's it's this big or nothing. Okay, mm. carry on. You, you just you just you just have to look away if you're not going to like it. I'm, 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 I'm like the giant um, uh, John Pertwee in the Mind of Evil, uh, laughing at you or something. <laughs> it's it's unintentional. Mm. Ada Lovelace, Ada Lovelace's father. <laughs> nearly said the wrong. Nearly said the Lovelace. 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 Yeah, I nearly said the naughty name there. I was trying not to. Ada Lovelace. 